Well, hello, church. Hello, online church. Welcome uh, to those of you who are here. Uh, my name is Nick McCall. I'm one of the pastors here at Thorn Creek Church, this amazing, beautiful place. Um, Pastor Ruben is still recovering from his bout with shingles, but um, Lord willing, he's planning on preaching next weekend. So pretty awesome. <clears throat> Lord willing. Uh, so we're going to continue to pray for him. Let's, uh, let's begin with a word of prayer together. Heavenly Father, we welcome you so much in this place, God. Lord, may your voice be the loudest voice we hear. And Lord, right now, as we gather, as we're here, as we've made the effort, as we've tuned in online, or as we've made it to church, we're here, God. And Lord, don't let us miss a moment. May your word speak to us today and convict us and shape us. And Lord, my prayer right now, honestly, is that you just push me aside. And may your word be heard, Lord. Use me as a vessel and speak your word to your people, God. We so desperately need you. Lord, I want to lift up these families have been affected by these shootings, God. I pray that you touch them. Touch our world, God. We pray against evil. We pray against the enemy. Jesus, may you reign. May your church shine in darkness. Jesus, you and I, we've been working on this message together all week. And uh, we want to hear from you, not from me. And so let us hear from you, God. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Hey, if you're just joining us, uh, we're in this series called Fan or Follower. Uh, if you're just joining us, this is week six. This is the last week of the series. It's been awesome, really great series. Um, all of the messages are on YouTube. Uh, so if you want to catch up, you can always do that. But I encourage you, it's been a great series. We've been talking about this idea of fan versus follower and what does each one mean? And so a fan is a, what we've been talking about is an enthusiastic admirer. Um, and fans, enthusiastic admirer versus a, a disciple is a, is a devoted follower of Christ. <clears throat> We've been talking about these two things. Like if we were to talk about sports, a fan is someone who's got all the head knowledge of the team. Do you know anybody like that? They know all the players, they know all the stats. It, they can bore you to death with like everything that they know, but they know it all in their head. But, but their commitment to the team ends with their knowledge. They could tell you all about it, but they're not out on the field. They're not working out with the team. They're not sweating it out. They don't feel it. They just got it all here. And they can tell you the way the play should have gone, you know, the way everything, probably what the coach should have done because they know better because they're sitting in their comfortable armchair, right? And they can, that's the fan. The follower, if we were using this example, is someone, they're on the field. They're, they're working out with the team. They're sore. They feel it. They're in it. And we've been talking about that in terms of our faith. And what does it look like for those of us who are fans of Jesus Versus those of us who are followers of Jesus. Um, and the main thing we're going to talk about today, this is a heavy one. This is a heavy one, guys. But um, today we're, we're going to talk about how that truly living for Jesus means dying to ourselves. <clears throat> and we say that a lot, don't we? We know that phrase. It's, if you've been around church in a while, you've heard like, you know, we're dying to ourselves. Okay, well, what does that mean? Really? And honestly? Like it sounds catchy, but what does this mean as a church? And for me. Well, what does it mean for me to, to die to myself? And, and, and how do I do that? <clears throat> See, the greatest irony, I think, in this life is um, you gain so much more when you give yourself away. When you give everything away, what you gain in return is so much more. Um, one of the things that we've noticed as we've gone through this series is that people, 
I've found myself oftentimes feeling convicted of like, yeah, I'm a follower. I got, but then I'm like, oh, I, I maybe I'm, I relate with that fan. Um, and, and I think a lot of us maybe realize that we think we've been living our lives a certain way. We think we've been living our lives as followers of Christ, but maybe we're more of a fan than we want to admit. And there's been several convicting moments as we've gone through this series. And so, so what's the difference between a fan of Jesus and a follower of Jesus? And, and, and how do I know? See, the main difference between someone who is a fan of Jesus and someone who is a follower of Jesus uh, is this. A fan has a self-centered life. A follower has a death to self-life. See, the title of today's message is Self-Centered or Death to Self, um, which I think is perfect title for closing out this series, by the way. Ultimately, how you live your life comes down to how you answer this question. Are you self-centered or are you Christ-centered? I want all of us to ask ourselves this question. I've been asking myself all week, and it's, I've been racking my brain. And I've been, I've been noticing many times where, you know what, if I'm honest, I'm pretty self-centered. I think a lot of us, if we could just be honest with each other, honest with ourselves, we're more self-centered than we may want to admit. Um, and, and I think that applies to all of us. Um, is the church all about you? Or is it all about Jesus and, and what Jesus is doing around you? When you walk into church, when you walked into church, did you notice all the things you didn't like? Did you pay attention to things that, that, that maybe that bothered you? Or, or did you notice the ways that God is moving in this church? When you walk into a church, a fan walks into a church asking, how can this church meet my needs? A fan will walk into a church and they'll say, you know what, that pastor doesn't really feed me. You know, I just don't really like the way he talks or she talks or, you know, I don't like the lighting. Um, a follower walks into church and they say, well, well, how can I help meet the needs of this community around me? How can I help be a blessing? Help, how can I help carry God's church forward? See, if you walked into church today, or if you tend to walk into church and you think things like, they need better parking, their coffee's too cold, this building's too big, this building's too small, those chairs are way too close together, I don't like the kids' ministry, I don't like the youth ministry, you call that worship music? If you find yourself saying these things all the time, you might be more of a fan than you want to admit. Because the follower walks into the church and says, this is the body of Christ and where do I plug in? And how can I help carry this mission forward? What's my role here? I want to help out. I don't want to sit back and critique. I want to help out. Many people today are in complete denial. We think we're followers of Christ, but we like things to be our way. Even in our relationship with Jesus, we're like, you know, God, if you could just answer this prayer for me and answer it exactly like this, and if you could make this happen for me, that would be amazing. Thanks, God. Sweet. Talk to you again tomorrow. Right? That's a fan mentality. Because the follower says, Jesus, what do you want from me? Jesus, where am I going today? Who am I talking to today? What do you want me to do today? Jesus, am I living rightly? You see how the, the focus is different? When you put the focus on God and say, God, what do you want me to do? Versus, God, I want you to do this. You see the difference between self-centered and Christ-centered? Christ-centered says, Jesus, I want your life for me. Jesus, I want to go where you want me to go. Jesus, don't, don't worry about my, my preferences. It's okay. I, I want to be used by you today. <clears throat> One of the most... Um, like ground-shattering verses for me in all of Scripture, comes out of Matthew chapter 7. 
And this passage is so eye-opening because you have these people who think they're living rightly. They think they're doing all the right things. But in the end, Jesus says, I never knew you. It says right here in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. We could stop there, couldn't we? But only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Verse 23, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. This passage is, it it, it rocks us, right? Because it, it makes us think like, okay, is it enough for me to just do things? Am I, am I even focusing on the right things? Do I even know God, really? Have I made an effort to know God? Like, personally, ask yourself, do you know God? Are you trying to know God? Are you seeking him? Have you made it all about your to-do list? Have you made it all about being a good person? Or have you made it about, I want to know God. Jesus, I want to know you, and I want to know your will for my life. I don't want to guess. I want to know. I want to hear your voice. I want to walk in step with you, God. When, when they say Lord, Lord here, um, it's a title uh, that, that, that can mean like master or, or leader or teacher. And so it's not simply enough to just view Jesus as this master or leader or teacher. And it's, it's not enough to just do good things. See what I'm saying? It's not enough to just recognize like, yep, he's the master. He's the teacher. Yep, okay. And then I'm just going to do these good things. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do nice things for people because I'm going to be a good person because I want to go to heaven someday. It's, it's so much more than that. See, from this passage, we see two things that are equally important. One, we're to make sure we do the will of God. That's pretty big. And number two, we are to know and be known by God. So you see, it's not enough to just do good things. It's, it's, it's not, you, you can't be Christ-centered if you're doing things for other people, but you don't know Christ. And how do you know Christ? Well, that's a daily commitment. It's a relationship. It's a walk that takes time and commitment every single day. I don't, I don't share this passage with you to, to scare you, but to remind you to stay humble and to stay focused, that, that we're doing something here, that there is a real living God who died on a cross for you and for me and who says, you know what? I just want you to love me. I want you to live for me. I want you to feed my sheep, take care of my people, do good things because I'm telling you to do good things and focus on knowing me. That's the life that God's calling us to live. See, it's not enough to just be a good person. The life that Jesus has called you and I to live is a life of self-denial. Your life is not about you. It's not about your wants, your desires, your preferences. Your life is about the life that Jesus wants for you. It's never been about what you want. It's never been about your comfort level. If your life is all about what you want, your life is not surrendered. Your life is self-centered. Ultimately, this life that Jesus calls us to live is a life of dying to ourselves. 
of surrendering our wants, our desires for him, giving up our expectations for the way we want things to go, giving up our greatest desires and instead giving up our money and our time. Those are two big ones. I just said the M word, money and time, giving up our priorities, our our material possessions, giving up our relationships, putting them in the hands of Jesus. If there's something in your life that God cannot use for him, why do you have it? If there's something in your schedule, if there's something that you prioritize, but it's not benefiting the kingdom of God or, or it's not something God's put in your life, well, why are you doing it? See, it's not doing the right things that makes you selfless. It's about giving yourself up so that God can do anything through you whenever he so desires without question. It's about dying daily so you can live the life you were meant to live. Isn't that ironic? This life that Jesus calls us to live is a life of dying to ourselves. You experience life when you die, when you give it up, when you surrender. Do you want your life to mean something? Do you want to live your whole life and then look back and realize you could have done more for God? Do you want to live your whole life and be like, yeah, I could have sacrificed more. Yeah, I could have given more of my time. Yeah, I really could have served in church, but but I, I chose not to. Or yeah, I could have given this, but I chose not to. Or yeah, I could have gone and done that and talked to that person and ministered to that family. I could I could and, and, and I don't I don't want to look back on my life and be like, God, I'm sorry, I didn't do what you wanted me to do. Now this is such a convicting thing because it's 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 up to all of us to I mean all of us none of us has a, a ton of time in life. Time is short, right? Um, it's, it's the, the width of our hand, as scripture says, and it's a lot of pressure. And it's like, okay, well, how do I do this right? And, and how do I make sure I'm living rightly for God? If your goal is to coast on by, to live a comfortable life, to minimize sacrifice, to protect your wealth, to protect your time, then your goal is not aligned with the life God has for you. God has not called you to a life of comfort. He's called you to sacrificial living that goes beyond your comfort zone. This whole idea of God wants you to be happy, I think God's okay with you not being happy. I think God's okay with sacrifice. I think God's greatest concern is not to make sure you're comfortable. I think God's greatest concern is to say, well, I want your heart. I want you to know me. I want you to follow me. I want you to serve me. I want you to commit to me. This like five minutes a day spending time with him and that's it. It's not enough for a devoted follower of Jesus. Just to crack open the Bible and and read a little bit and that's the only time you spent with God. That's the only time you thought about him all day. We can't call ourselves devoted followers, devoted disciples of Jesus if that's what our time with the Lord looks like. It's so important that we make God such a priority. See, the message of the cross is a message of self-denial, it's sacrifice. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus had some words for some followers of Christ that should rock our perspective. These are some crazy words. Luke chapter 9, verse 57 says, As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Verse 58, Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. So, so you got this guy who, he's impressed with Jesus, right? And he makes this decision. He's like, Jesus, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. 
Jesus is like, you don't even know what you're saying. You don't even have a clue what that means. See, Jesus essentially tells this man that there's a cost to following him. And for this man in this particular situation, it was the cost was called security, comfort, and stability. Because when you choose to follow Jesus in this way, it means total and complete surrender. See, for some people, following Jesus means leaving everything behind and going to a place that you never thought you were going to go, but you go because God called you there. Now, God doesn't call everybody to do that, but for some, it's a very real give up everything and move somewhere. Like, ask yourself, if Jesus called you, I'm asking myself this question. I wrestled with this this week. If Jesus called you to move to another part of the world where Christianity is illegal, it's illegal to have a Bible, it's illegal to start a church, and Jesus said, hey, I want you to go to this place and you're going to start this church. Would you be willing to go? I think all of us, right? We're like, that's heavy. That's scary. God, I don't know. Are you going to call me to that? I hope you, God, please don't call me to that. Right? That's our honesty. That's our honest opinion is like, and ask yourself this question. Like, well, what if God doesn't give you the life you want? Are you going to be okay? Are you going to still love him and trust him? What if God doesn't give you the job you want? What if God doesn't give you the house you want, the car you want, the family you want, the status you want? What if God's plan for your life is completely different than the plan that you ever would have wanted for your life? And what if it's, what if it's difficult? <clears throat> what if the life Jesus has for you to follow him is a life of sacrifice and struggle and poverty? What if that's the life, Jesus? See, see, I'm speaking honestly. This is hard for me because I prefer the theology that says, God, if I do good things, you'll take care of me, right? God, if I serve you, you'll bless me, right? God, if I, if I sacrifice, then like you're going to make it right, right? You're going to make it comfortable, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have these things, right, God, right? And what if God says to me, you know, Nick, I want you to sacrifice and, and I'm going to bless you in other ways, I'm going to take care of you in other ways. That's radical discipleship. That's radical of following Jesus. Um, have you ever studied some of the Old Testament prophets? Do you see what happened to these people that committed to following Jesus and living a, a, a God-centered life? Have you read the book of Ezekiel? The, the choice that Ezekiel made to be a prophet to follow Jesus meant a very difficult life. He was hated. He was an outcast because all the people he talked to, he was just telling them about destruction and he ate a scroll and he laid on the ground for like a year. And, and he was, he was, he was an outcast by society, but God called him to follow him. And that was the life that God called Ezekiel to live. Doesn't sound like our American idea of follow Jesus. It's radical, right? And sometimes choosing to, f to, to follow Jesus, to say yes to the call that life or that God is giving you is hard. And just to be real with you, being a devoted disciple of Jesus carries a huge responsibility. It means you have to say the truth to your family, your friends, and your coworkers that you don't want to say and they don't want to hear. It means you stand up for absolute truth. I work with teenagers one of the things I've learned recently talking to teenagers and, and in today's culture is there's really no such thing as absolute truth anymore. This phrase of like, own your truth or it's your truth or that's so common. So in today's culture, like you can believe something that's completely false 
But you can tell everyone it's true and we all just have to say, yeah, okay, that's true because it's true for you. And the danger with that is we've lost our compass. Okay, well, what's true then? What's absolute truth and where does it come from? So one of the things we talk to our teenagers about is, no, there is an absolute truth. His name is Jesus. It's written right here in these pages. And we got to uphold this as true because this, if this is, if, if we lose sight of that, like, where are we going to find truth from? Where's it going to come from? And then when a devoted disciple of Jesus comes along, they speak the truth in love to someone and they don't like to hear it. Well, what happens? You get canceled, right? You get kicked out. You're out of touch. You don't know what you're talking about. You're, you're, uh, you're all kinds of names. But to be a devoted follower of Jesus means reminding people of truth. You know what? The church, we're the pillar of truth, right? We're the pillar of truth. And if we don't uphold the truth, who will? That's why it's so lonely for pastors today, especially today. I know it's always been hard, and I understand that. There's a lot of social issues in our society, in our world today, where pastors, we, the Bible hasn't changed. God's word hasn't changed. The world's changing a lot, but God's word hasn't, and his word remains true in all seasons. 2 Timothy chapter 4, it gives us this warning of, of what will happen, and I believe is already happening today. 2 Timothy, just listen to these words. This is crazy. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 says, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Listen to verse 3. It says, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, that's a big but, but you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. Isn't that crazy? The Bible's so relevant. <laughs> it's alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. <clears throat> Preach the word. Every page of God's word must be spoken, heard, and understood. Even the passages that offend you. And I promise you, the more you study God's word, the more it's going to step on your toes. The more you're not going to like some things that are in there. Verse 3 is so incredibly relevant to our culture today, it says people will gather around them a great number of teachers to tell them what they want to hear. I'll give you a great example. It's called social media. Now, social media is kind of crazy. You got to think about it. And, and I know there's a lot of truth coming out about social media right now, but, but um, it, it's an algorithm, right? So what that means is it knows what you want, what you like to see. It's paying attention to you. It's watching you. It's studying you. It knows the things that you agree with. Typically, where you, you know, align politically and how you stand on certain issues. And, and then what it does is it just continues to just blast you with everything you agree with. And occasionally, it throws things at you that it knows you disagree with so that, you know, it'll get a rise out of you and things like that. But it's designed specifically to know you and to show you more and more of what you want to hear 
and see. You are literally being bombarded with information that's tailored to your beliefs, which only intensifies your beliefs and, and causes you to be even more convinced of this. Do you see the problem with this? It's like you're living in this social vacuum that you just feel like you and everyone who you see agrees with you. And then when you encounter someone in the real world who's going through something, they disagree with you. Well, then all of a sudden they're out of touch. They don't understand and, and they don't belong in your circle. People, we need to wake up. We are being influenced. You are being influenced by what you listen to. Your opinions are being shaped by what you, re what you read and see and hear. And your job is to make sure God's word is the loudest voice in your life. Your job is to make sure you align what you see with God's word. Align it with scripture. If it doesn't align with scripture, it's not true. There's no gray area. It's true or it's not. That's the thing about truth, right? It's one way or it's the other. And don't turn your ears from the truth because you don't like it. People used to respect the word of God as absolute truth. You know, I think it used to mean something when you put your hand on a Bible and say, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help me God. I feel like there was probably more power behind that in, in previous generations. Does that even mean anything to, to most people anymore? means a lot to me. But see, God's word is, is supposed to be our guide and, and our compass as we walk through this, this life. It's a lamp unto our feet. And the only way we're going to make this transition from self-centered to death to self is by surrendering to God, surrendering to his word, and living by it and taking it seriously. And people who do not live with a fear and a reverence for God, they won't understand You'll be seen as closed-minded. In verse 5, we're, we're encouraged to keep our head in all situations and endure hardship. In other words, guarding the truth that we find in God's word is not going to be easy. Paul warns us again in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. It says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The warning's right here. You will be persecuted because of your belief in God. And you have to make the transition from self-centered to Christ-centered. Because to be a devoted follower of Jesus, you got to be grounded in his word because there's going to be challenges you're going to go through. If you look at the early disciples, Jesus called them to give up everything, everything to follow him. The call of Jesus to the disciples was to drop their nets and follow him. That net represented their livelihood. That was how they, they, they lived. It, it was more than just a hobby. I mean, it was drop who you are. This is your identity. Drop it. That's no longer who you are. You are now my disciples. Drop everything and follow me completely. Um, I don't know why we think it's different today. Jesus isn't telling you to like occasionally drop your net whenever you feel like it and then pick it back up whenever you're ready and um, occasionally go to church and occasionally put, put a 20 in the offering and, and occasionally help when, when someone's in need and, and do your best to live a comfortable life. That's not the life Jesus is calling us to live. To follow Jesus means to give up everything. Now, that, that doesn't mean we got to go sell everything and go live on the streets for Jesus. I'm not saying that. But like, what if he told you to? Would you? Would I? I don't, would, would we? Look at what he says in these next few verses. 
Luke chapter 9, verse 59 says, He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I'll follow you, Lord. But first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. These aren't unrealistic requests, right? He's like, look, my dad just died. Can I just, can I go to the funeral first and then follow you? And Jesus is like, no, let the dead bury their own dead. Okay, Jesus, I want to follow you, but like my family's waiting on me. It's almost dinner time. I just need to go let them know I'm not coming home for dinner. And then I'll I'll be here. I'm going to follow you. And Jesus is like, don't look back. Don't look back. Um, This is radical, (laughs) And many of us don't quite live our lives like this, but like sometimes we forget some of the things that Jesus said. They were radical things. And this life that Jesus is calling us to live is radical. It's a life of self-denial. It's a life of dying to ourselves and and getting out of our own way and, and living this life that Jesus has called us to live. Verse 62 again, this one should 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 shake us. It says, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. In other words, when you turn and you follow Jesus, that's it. That's it. And your hands to the plow and it's, it's hard work. Following Jesus is hard work. It's what, but, but, but it's what we're called to do. It's who we were called to be. You were created to follow Jesus. You were created to put your hands to the plow and work for him and work hard for him. And work to build his church and build his kingdom. If you have things to offer the church, offer it. All of us do. I shouldn't say if. You all know what you have to offer the church. Offer it to the church. Build his kingdom. Build his church. Fill it with people. Love people. Show people what's true. Show people what it means to follow Christ. We need to get out of our own way. We need to put Jesus and others first. We need to give up our weekend every once in a while. Serve and follow Jesus. Put our hands to the plow and don't look back. Following Jesus will cost you something. Truly following Jesus as a devoted disciple of Jesus will cost you something. It will cost you time. It will cost you money. It will cost you success. It will cost you vacations. It will cost you houses and comfort. Are you okay with all those things? Are you willing to do all those things? Because following Jesus may not necessarily give you the life you've dreamed of. Make no mistake, following Jesus is hard work. It's almost never convenient. It almost never aligns with financial goals, but it's the life you were created to live. Jesus says it in in Luke chapter 9. These are some of the most countercultural verses in our our world. And and here's what it says, Luke chapter 9, verse 23. It says, then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words The son of man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the father and of the holy angels. 
Heavy words, church. Heavy words. Verse 23 really lays it out there plainly. We're to do three things. We're to deny ourselves and take up our cross daily and, and follow Jesus. Well, let's talk about these three things. Um, first thing he says is deny yourself. When Jesus calls us to deny ourselves, he's, he's calling us to let go of the life that we want for ourselves. I read a story um, this week about a guy who went to Africa and he was there preaching in Africa. And as he was preaching, he presented the gospel. And there were these two men that came forward and, and gave their lives to Jesus and they all celebrated. And then later that night, the missionary was hanging out at one of the, one of the homes that was set up for people in the community who didn't have a place to go. And lo and behold, these two men who turned their lives to Jesus came to the home with bags on their backs. And he said, hey, the, those, were the, those were the men who, who gave their lives to Jesus. I, I didn't know they were staying here. And one of the local missionaries said, for them to follow Jesus meant being completely rejected by their family. They were kicked out and outcast from their homes because of the commitment they made to follow Jesus. That's radical discipleship. That's, that, that's a radical follower of Jesus. They gave up everything to follow him. Everything. Stability, wealth, family, love. But they were rejected because of their commitment to follow Jesus. Do we understand that kind of thing here? I don't know if many of us really understand that level of commitment of following Jesus. For these men, following Jesus costs them everything. When we choose to follow Jesus, we're saying, I choose Jesus. I choose Jesus over my money. I choose Jesus over my family. I choose Jesus over my career goals. I choose Jesus over looking at porn. I choose Jesus over getting drunk, getting high. I choose Jesus over what others think of me. I chose Jesus because Jesus chose me when he had no reason to. Do you choose Jesus over everything? We just saying, I surrender all. Do we? I asked the worship team that in the green room. I said, man, that's a powerful song. Do we surrender all? Have we surrendered all? Have I really surrendered all? Have I chosen Jesus over everything? Everything. Because to deny ourselves, we choose Jesus over everything. Now, by his grace, Jesus may not be telling you to sell your house and move to Africa and, and go and he, he may not be telling you that he may be saying you're doing great, but you can give up a few more things for me. You can surrender some things to me. You can give me some more of your time. You can give me more of your efforts. You can, you can work on some things, but you need to ask yourself this question. Is anything off limits for God? Anything? Is there anything in your, in your life, in your family, in your home that's off limits for God? Are you saying, God, you can have all of me except my retirement fund? God, you can have all of me except my season tickets to the Broncos. We got Russell Wilson this year, so I'm going, right? Um, God, you can have all of me except for my home. God, you can have all of me except for my livelihood. I, I kind of like the way things are, and I don't really want to change anything. But everything else, God, you can have it. We can't come to God with open hands if we have something that we're holding on to. And God wants us to approach him with open hands and say, God, it's all yours. 
It's all yours. You can have it all. To deny yourself means let go of everything. It's not a partial commitment. It's everything. You don't get to say, I follow Jesus, but when it comes to this area, I'm good. See, to deny oneself, this is from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Great quote here. He says, to deny oneself is to be aware only of Christ and no more of self. To see only him who goes before and no more the road which is too hard for us. Once more, all that, self can, all that self-denial can say is, he leads the way. Keep close to him. This quote gets put in perspective if you know anything about Bonhoeffer. If you know anything about the hard road he's talking about, that he walked. He was a German pastor and theologian during the time of Nazi Germany. He was accused of being involved in a plot to kill Hitler. And he was eventually hung to death. He knew what it was like to walk the hard road. And yet he talks about how seeing only Jesus and not the difficult road he was on. Saying Jesus leads the way. He's responding to a terrifying situation. And yet his focus is Jesus leads the way. I'm following Jesus. I'm not paying attention to the road I'm on. I'm paying attention to the one I'm looking at, the one who's leading me. And it's Jesus. And even on the difficult road he was on, he encouraged people to stay close to Jesus. See, denying yourself means letting go of your plans and looking at Jesus as he leads you, no matter where that may be. The second thing we're we're told told to do is take up your cross daily. Daily. Based on what we know about the cross and the way it was used on Jesus, it was not a symbol of comfort. Um, It was a symbol that represented a heavy cost. It represented sacrifice. And Jesus willingly went to that cross and, and willingly gave up everything so that we would be forgiven and be brought back into a relationship with him. And our job is to remember that Jesus went to the cross for us and that this is And we are told to sacrifice our wants and our desires and our plans and our possessions for him instead. To take up your cross daily is to surrender daily to whatever God has in store for you. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Isn't that strong? Galatians 2.20. Yeah. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. You know, Jesus gave up everything for you. Jesus gave up everything for me. And he asked in return, you give up everything for him. That it's no longer my way. Jesus doesn't want to just like have his hand on the steering wheel. He wants the whole car. You get in the trunk. He's driving. And don't try to take that steering wheel back and allow him to lead you, even if it's places you don't want to go, even if it means hard conversations you don't want to have, even if it means forgiving that person you don't want to forgive, even if it means going to that place you don't want to go. To take up your cross is to say, it's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And when a person gets to this point, when they say, God, it's your life, 
I just want to live your life. I just want to do what you want me to do. God, you can have it all and you really honestly surrender it all. You become moldable in the hands of God. And then you start saying things like, God, you can have my time. God, you can have my weekends. God, you can have my money. It's all yours anyway. God, you can have my relationships. You can have my career goals. You can have my addictions. You can have my secrets. You can have my lies. You can have my whole life. I'm done living with my own plan and my own agenda. And you get to that point and you say, God, it's your life. I'm just living it and I want to be used by you for as long as you allow me to. I want to use the breath I have in my lungs to glorify you, God. C.S. Lewis says, Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your work. I want you. I have not come to torment your natural self, but to kill it. No half measures are any good. I don't want to cut off a branch here and a branch there. I want to have the whole tree down. God says, give me all of it. I don't want half of it. I don't want half of your ice cream sundae. I want the whole thing. Give me everything. Are we ready for this, church? Am I ready? Are you ready? Are we ready to live this kind of a life? If you're not ready yet, be honest with yourself. But say, God, I'm not ready yet, but I want to be. I don't know how to do this yet, God, but I want to. Jesus wants your everything. He wants all of you. And until you give him everything, you haven't made it yet. There's no halfway option here. It's all or nothing. And the third thing we're called to do is follow Jesus. Have a relationship with him. Talk to him. Know him. Love him. Following Jesus is what we were created to do. And once you commit to denying yourself and taking up your cross, following Jesus becomes the easy part. The hard part's denying yourself, and taking up your cross and saying, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. But then once you get those two things down, following Jesus, man, that's fun. And that's sweet. And that's what we were created to do. And before you know it, you find yourself talking to Jesus all day long. During the seemingly mundane moments of your life, you're spending time with Jesus. And you begin to learn what it means to walk with Jesus every moment of every day. You can walk with Jesus in the DMV. I know it's crazy, but you can. You can walk to Jesus at the grocery store. You can walk with Jesus at work. You can walk with Jesus in traffic when it's backed up and you're there for three hours. You can walk with Jesus in that moment. You can surrender your life to Jesus fully. I wanted to close with this scripture, Philippians 3, 7 through 14. This is what it means to follow Jesus, church. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. 
Not that I've already obtained all this or have arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul, he's so honest here, right? So honest. He's like, you know, I I recognize what I need to do, but I haven't gotten there yet. But I'm going to press on and I'm going to forget what's behind and I'm going to look at what's ahead. Don't feel like you have to have it all figured out today. But you need to have the mindset of Jesus. I haven't figured it out yet, but I'm trying. Don't get comfortable. The moment you get comfortable is the moment you're not doing it right. Don't allow yourself to get complacent. You haven't done enough. You haven't given up enough. You haven't followed him enough. You haven't denied yourself enough. You haven't done enough yet. I I promise you that. But keep going. Keep striving. Keep moving forward. Keep making strides to say, Jesus, I want more of you and less of me. I want more of you. I want less of this stuff in my life. I want more of your time and your schedule and I want want to do more things for you. Forget what's behind and strain for what's ahead. You know the goal. You know what you're supposed to do and you know what's in the way. So start working at what's in the way. Start making room for Jesus in your life. Consider everything a loss to knowing Jesus. We spend so much time, effort, and energy trying to acquire things in this life that don't bring us long-term fulfillment. And it isn't until we learn to let it all go that we learn the worth of surrendering to Jesus and saying, Jesus, it's yours. My life is not mine to live. It's yours to live through me. And I don't want to be self-centered. Start your day in the morning by saying, Jesus, what do you want from me today? Jesus, how can I live for you today? Not about what I want. Because you know, he's going to give you what you need. Do you trust him to do that? He's going to give you what you need. He knows what you need. He's not oblivious to that. So the question is, Jesus, what, what can I do for you? How can I live for you today? How can I surrender to you today? It's okay to turn off the news and social media for a while. Pay attention to Jesus and his word. Pay attention to him. Turn your eyes on him. Well, let me close this in prayer. Well, Heavenly Father, we uh, when we look to you right now, God, and we recognize we need you. There's this life that we're called to live that's radical. And in so many ways, so many of us have so much to do, but Jesus, we need your help. Help us, show us. Give us help to surrender our time, our our things to you, God, our, our lives, and show us what it looks like and what it means to recognize that my life is not my own, that it's yours, God, and you, I need you to live it through me. Show us, God, how to become less self-centered and more Christ-centered. Show us how to make the turn from fan of you to follower of you. There's some things that I know that we're holding on to that we're going to need some help from you, God, to help us let go of. And I pray you reveal those things to us, even right now, God. Reveal those things to us that we're holding on to that are in the way. Those things that we've put in between us and you. 
and show us how to radically surrender and live a life for you, Jesus, wholly and completely for you. God, we uh, take this time right now to just recognize who you are. We love you and want to give opportunity for anybody here who's ready to make the commitment to turn their life over to Jesus. If that's you, I encourage you. Talk with Jesus and say this prayer. Say, Jesus, I, I surrender my life to you. I recognize my life is not mine to live, but it's a life you gave me and I want to live it for you. Jesus, will you forgive me of my sins? Forgive me of the things I've done. I choose to follow you today. You're my God. I see that now. I'm going to need a lot of help with this stuff. Jesus, I, I follow you. You're my Savior, and I love you. Today, I choose to follow you. Thank you, Lord. We love you so much. Help us along, God. We need you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.